Hey everyone, just a little quick pre-show warning. We had some audio issues, unfortunately, with this episode, uh, but in the interest of sharing the conversation, we've decided to release it. So just be forewarned, uh, there are some clicks and pops throughout the track, but we thought it was a good conversation. Nonetheless, we'll uh, do better next time. Thanks. Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, I have not actually made anything fancy. I am just drinking an old-fashioned with some Elijah Craig bourbon. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit lazy. How about you? I made a Brooklyn. Um, oh, nice. The, one of the, the three New York drinks, so I'm a com compadre to your uh, Manhattan. Gotcha. So uh, <laughs> today I thought we could uh, talk about uh, Tesla's latest uh, acquisition, which is not Solar City yet, that will be uh, voted on shortly, but actually a engineering company that they announced uh, earlier this week or last week um, called Groman Engineering. And uh, this came out of nowhere. There was no early chatter about it or anything like that. And I hadn't heard their name before in any of their previous earnings calls or anything. So a little bit out of the blue. So I thought it might be useful to go through a little bit more about the acquisition, what it means, who is this company, what do they do, and do we think it's a good deal for Tesla to have done? So yeah, thought we could try and do that. Yeah, let's start with that. What, who is uh, Groman Engineering and what do they do? Yeah, so Groman is a company in Germany. They also have offices in a few other places, um, but they primarily produce um, uh, production line equipment for the automotive industry, the semiconductor industry, uh, and then also biomedical. So they make both actual um, machines um, for production lines, as well as the know-how and assembly of those machines in series uh, to produce a fully functioning product line uh, for all these different industries. And apparently they had been working with Tesla for, for many months already, and Tesla decided to acquire them. And, uh, and so they, they did, and they posted a blog post about that. And they also did a call with uh, some press to talk through some of the questions. So we have some info from, from both of those uh, official Tesla um, channels. And then I've also done some research on uh, the history of Groman and uh, tried to find as much as I could about them uh, to to fill in the blanks in some of the areas that uh, Tesla didn't describe. Cool. Did they talk at all about what they specifically use their uh, either machines or know-how for? Like what is Tesla, what parts of the vehicles uh, is Tesla using their equipment to build? So they've, uh, J.B. Straubel was pretty involved on the, on the call. And so J.B. Straubel uh, is Tesla's CTO. And he's been focused on the Gigafactory. Um, they said that they thought about working with them primarily for the Model 3, but also for the general idea of when they decided to go from half a million uh, to, to sort of create that half a million vehicle deadline they set for 2020, which then they moved up to 2018. They knew they needed to figure out how to produce vehicles at a much higher clip. And then also they needed to produce the batteries. And so apparently it was some point around then that they reached out to Groman. So something like uh, six, six months to a year, maybe a year and a half ago, so some, something in that time range, and uh, primarily focused on the Model 3 uh, 
line and the Model 3 needs, but that could clearly involve the, uh, the battery and the cells. Um, so they didn't describe the specifics, but from uh, some of the sleuthing I was able to do, uh, found out that uh, Groman has actually worked with um, both Daimler and BMW to help them build the production facilities for their electric car batteries. Um, so they developed the production lines for those cells and also the battery packs. And apparently they've worked with numerous other German and international automobile manufacturers. So they've clearly worked on automobiles and also lithium ion battery uh, production facilities. And I went and tried to look at the, um, the Gigafactory tour that Tesla had done a few months back with, with some of the owners to see if any of the videos that had come out of there um, had any uh, Groman markings on them. Uh, but I, I couldn't find any that, uh, that I could connect to their parts catalog. Um, so from, from that point of view, I couldn't find any machines, but that's not to say that they weren't in the Gigafactory or on, on delivery. So when you say manufacturing lines, does that mean, um, like, I guess when I hear ro robots or, or, or automated manufacturing stuff in the automotive industry, I tend to think of those like articulated arms that are always the most like visually interesting things that you see when they're like welding or doing whatever it is that they do. Um, but I guess there's also a lot of stuff that just is the actual production line where it's just actually moving the things from one position to the next position is, are they the, that sort of like network system that's actually moving things from one station to another? Is that the kind of thing they're doing? Or is it like, do they make machines that like you say, batteries, like, you know, put cells in a line or, or whatever it is that, that these things do. And I'm really exposing my lack of any sort of manufacturing knowledge here, but. Uh, <laughs> it was, in, yeah. And digging in, there was, um, a lot of uh, a lot of specific types of activities that I hadn't considered needed to happen. So they don't seem to be doing a ton of um, uh, conveyor belt systems or elevator type stuff. It it seemed to be a lot more of this sort of precision, uh, high volume production work. So like one example that they gave on the on the um, website is that they uh, know how to inject liquid into things at a high rate. So one example that I found was like contact lens solution for um, contact lens uh, that, that are single use. So how do you build a machine that can inject that fluid into the pods that then get sealed? So they also have um, adhesive machines to adhere things together at a really high rate. So they kind of make a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and, th and then they also, when you think about sort of the battery pack building, it would be how do you how do you lay down that sort of solution uh, onto the flat um, components and then how would you roll it up together really quickly? Um, how do you put two pieces together at a really high rate and turn them together uh, to clip in together? Um, and then they also said they also manufacture uh, flat ribbon cables um, and also how they can position ribbon cables into uh, bundles at a really high rate. So all these like things that I think you sort of take for granted in products. It sounds like they make a lot of those sorts of machines. Oh, interesting. And, and apparently as a result of all this experience in different fields, that was one of the other things that the, the Tesla team mentioned as being really beneficial to them as they've been planning out because to date it's been a supplier sort of consultant relationship with Groman. 
where they've been helping Tesla think through how to produce uh, the Model 3 at a really high rate and deal with all of these different subsystems that they need to, to make. And now we know that Tesla is spending a lot of their energy creating these products in-house and doing a lot of their own sort of subsystem assembly that they would need to figure out how to run the wire and build like the, the wire harness essentially, or uh, they need to figure out how they're going to um, put together the, uh, the computer from NVIDIA and into its case and all these things that that thought process and engineering uh, sort of know-how on how high production, high volume uh, manufacturing is done with really precise, uh, technologically advanced systems, Groman has been helping them. And that was one of the things on the call they talked about as being really valuable is that they see the automotive world. They also see the, uh, the semiconductor world and also the, uh, the biomedical world. And so they've sort of cross-pollinated that understanding from all these previous clients. Because one of the things that's intriguing is that uh, Groman has been around since 1963. So it's 53 years old. Uh, they have 700 employees. And last year, they did just over $130 million in revenue. Um, and so, you know, not a massive, massive company, but certainly a, a meaningful uh, team and I'm sure Tesla's working with a large number of them uh, to both buy machines for their own use and for the uh, sort of consulting information. So is Tesla taking over the entire company where this might be like a strategic thing where now they will be getting all of the capacity of the company and therefore denying that, boosting their own capacity while also denying that capacity to uh, the competitors that are also using this company? So they, um, Tesla's rationale for this was that they, you know, in the goal of accelerating sustainable energy, their view is that's only possible with really high volume factories and that uh, they allow you to build really high quality with really low price uh, and making them more accessible. And so that Groman is a component to how Tesla will get to that vision faster. Uh, and it's been, they, they did say this is the first acquisition of any significance uh, in the entire company, the entire history of Tesla. Uh, and so, you know, this is an, un, an unprecedented um, move for Tesla. They've never really bought an outside technology or uh, team that was meaningful. Um, and so there's a couple of things we can unpack there, but yes, they own the company 100% now. So they bought all of it. Um, and this is going to be now the Tesla advanced automation, uh, group, uh, the Germany edition, essentially, uh, it's a new subdivision and they didn't describe explicitly if they were going to, um, continue helping companies in the future. I think they said they would continue honoring the current contracts uh, until they're, they're through. But at some point, it would make sense that Tesla would be able to absorb all the capacity of what this company could produce um, if some of the other things they talked about on the call come true. And, and one of the best indicators of that was they plan to hire an additional thousand engineers in Germany over the next two years. So they would go from the 700 total employees of the company to 1,700 within two years, which makes me think that they are clearly going to absor like absorb all of the current capacity. And perhaps they would still be willing to, similar to the way that they've open sourced their patents, help other companies. 
but I certainly can't believe that Elon would take a second chair uh, to some other automotive company being, uh, you know, priority one. So I think it will be Tesla priority zero, and then perhaps if they have any extra bandwidth helping other other customers. Wow. So the level of difficulty here is is seems pretty impressive. I mean, they they tend to set ambitious goals for themselves, but as you say, this is going to be their first major acquisition. So they've got all of the M&A stuff to deal with and integrating another company into the Tesla umbrella. And they also plan to more than double the size of this company that took 53 years to grow to 700. And now Tesla is going to going to like more than double that in two years. Uh, it yes. feels like they're, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, new paths they're trotting right there. Yeah, for sure. And and one of the things they also said was that, um, you know, is this maybe, you know, one, one question would be, is Groman the only one who was in a position that needed this sort of acquisition? Uh, and, you know, maybe there's other companies that Tesla has worked with that they've tried to acquire. And Tesla tried to um, abate that concern by noting on the call that Groman was their first choice uh, in terms of bringing on this expertise. Uh, and that of all the folks they've worked with, they were the one they wanted, and that their goal uh, is to help them build the machines that build the machine, which is a phrase we've talked about and in, in, in reference to what Elon and the team have been talking about for the past year or so. And so it's very clearly uh, strategic from the point of view that Tesla believes that the production capabilities of the company are now one of the most important assets. And so I think that's definitely going to be uh, really valuable to them to have this company that has, to your point, been doing this for a very long time, uh, a very, very long time with many, many different types of companies who clearly have seen sort of how their systems play a role in these broader manufacturing systems, who have helped automakers that clearly produce at very high levels and also have the ability to create machines, like actually make machines, but also design systems for production. So that they're like, they build the machines that build the machine that build the machine. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, super, you know, they go, they go one level deeper than what Tesla has currently been thinking about. Um, right. And they're already being, Tesla's already working with them. So I guess that, that maybe minimizes some of the risk there where they can still continue that sort of uh, client type relationship, I guess, where, you know, they just kind of keep doing what they're doing and it might not be as uh, difficult as some uh, corporate acquisitions are. Yeah. So JB Straubel said on the call that they've been working together in partnership for the past few months uh, and that the teams complemented each other really well and they were achieving a lot uh, in terms of the automation improvements they were hoping to see uh, and that they just sort of felt like they could do more if they didn't have the uh, two corporate entities being distinct and having them be Tesla employees. Um, and so the automated, all of Tesla's automated manufacturing systems will now be designed and produced in Prum, which is the headquarters in Germany for Grom. Um, and uh, so yeah, you know, they expect it will help them make the most advanced factories in the world. Um, and, you know, they called out that it's really quite significant going from 100,000 cars a year sort of rate to 500 or 600,000 cars a year in such a short period of time. And so I think, you know, sort of moving into what this means for Tesla, to me, this seems like an in incredibly um, powerful move for Tesla to make 
in uh, alleviating or at least um, providing an answer to, well, how, how are you actually going to be able to produce so many more vehicles than you do today when you have no evidence of having a team that's done that yet? And now having 700 more team members who for their for many of them, their entire career has been f spent helping companies automate and build things at a very high rate. And many of them in the automotive world and many of them in battery technology. That seems like a really good get for uh, how do you go get 700 engineers and software people uh, and administrative people who build machines, know how to source them, how to manufacture them. That seems like a really good um, uh, way to get those, that talent. And then also in a place like Germany, uh, apparently, they're very close to Nuremberg that they understand uh, sort of the automotive world and are steeped in that tradition of German engineering. So Tesla and Elon also said that this was sort of a way for Tesla to become partly a German company, uh, <laughs> which he felt they should do. And uh, he said it was a significant endorsement of the German technology. I mean, it's interesting here to hear you say that they have... Uh, experience building battery technology, but for companies that have pretty low volume uh, battery production demands compared to, I mean, unless we're talking about the um, internal combustion car batteries, but I, I don't think that's what we're talking about. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Tesla is doing a much higher volume uh, if we're talking about like throughput of these lines than any of those other companies. Yeah, I think that um, the... The Bolt and uh, and Volt are certainly pretty high level, and I think they they certainly had mentioned they'd worked with other companies too. Um, but I think that the um, the sort of important piece here, to your your point about integration, is um, it it is certainly difficult to integrate two companies that, uh, especially of that size, that you didn't hire all those people yourself. And so, to what degree are they actually sort of really a subdivision uh, versus a integrated part of the company. And is Tesla large enough yet to accommodate that level of 700 new people? Because they're currently 14,000 employees. So that's like a 5% of their workforce instantly added in you know one day. Yeah, it's in an entirely different work environment too. The, the whole um, culture and just the everything about building out a company in Germany is going to be very different than doing it here in Silicon Valley. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, when you, when you step back, the important things for Tesla and the rationale are, okay, how do we produce so many vehicles uh, quickly? We don't have enough talent here to do all the things we need at the rate we need. We need more people. We started working with this company, Groman. They seem to be doing a really great job what would it cost to just make them all Tesla employees? And it's sort of that big, like sweeping, swing for the fences type bet that, uh, you know, Elon Musk seems to be pretty capable of just making those sorts of decisions pretty quickly because uh, one of the things obviously for Tesla is like the risk is they can't produce as many Model 3s as they have said they want to and the company doesn't live up to its goals. And the biggest risk, as we've talked about, is not demand at this point, but can they supply it? And how do you mitigate that risk? Well, one of those would be bringing on more people to the team who have 
engineering experience in building things quickly and also in building machines that can build things quickly. So that seems like a really strong addition. Uh, and then the other really interesting thing to me was like, how much do we think this would have cost Tesla to bring in and how much value does it need to add for it to have been neutral at best and hopefully positive. So if you do some of the math I was doing was if, if you assume that they, they have that $130 million in revenue, which is actually been sort of revealed because they had a private equity investment of around 25% in the nineties. And so that company in Germany has been revealing a bit about how much revenue they have in their public an announcements to their shareholders. Oh, but is it um, still a, is it still a private company or, it was a private company, but it had investment from a public company. And so the public oh, company was revealing okay. its revenues. Um, but Tesla bought all 100% of the shares. Um, and so, okay, so they've got 130 million in revenue. If you assume maybe they've got a 30% profit margin-ish, just take that down to, okay, they've got 100 million in sort of direct costs, perhaps. So with 100 million in costs, so Tesla's now assuming that, and assume you get rid of all of the existing contracts. So Tesla has the full burden of those 700 employees. Tesla's current R&D spending is just around $800 million a year. So that's a 12% increase overnight, which is meaningful for sure, but not, uh, not uh, doubling or anything um, they can't absorb from, from a um, growth point of view. And then if then the other question is how long, how many more Model 3s does this company have to help Tesla make to be worthwhile? It was sort of one way I was thinking about it. So if you assume that the Model 3 has a 15% profit margin and they sell it at that $42,000 price that Tesla has said they expect will be the average, Groman's team will have to help them sell 16,000 more Model 3s per year to offset those $100 million operating costs. So when I did that out, and that, so then you break that down to how many more per quarter, uh, that's only 4,000 more Model 3s per quarter. So that doesn't seem like that high a bar <laughs> to achieve something that may make the Model 3 be able to produce hundreds of thousands of vehicles a year. So yeah, given, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, given their current numbers, it seems kind of crazy. But given the projected numbers in a year or two, then yeah, that doesn't seem as high. But yeah, four thousand would be a significant bump right now. But yeah, so that four thousand right now would be basically a twelve. Uh, what would that be? A twenty percent improvement yeah. over where they are now, um, which seems so, optimistic. <laughs> but yeah, that seems optimistic. But if they're producing a hundred thousand a quarter, then yeah. Yeah, that'd be a you know four to five percent improvement, um, and and to me, like when you think about okay, if you wanted to hire seven hundred talented people to build a new division, uh, to to do this, and you said okay, we want to do that by the time Model Three comes out from when they decided to start doing this, that, say that it's like two years, that would be saying we're going to hire an extra person to Tesla every single day just for this group for two years straight, 365. And have no attrition. Right. So that seems difficult to do as well. Yeah. And as we all know, the talent pool for, you know, really great engineers and uh, craftsmen is not as liquid as, <laughs> uh, you know, hiring one person a day for two years straight would, 
yeah. allow. Well, and something like manufacturing and, and building automated machinery seems like it, that's the kind of thing that benefits from practical experience as much as like ability uh, or, or that right. really informs the ability because it's the kind of thing where, you know, even the smartest people can probably build something and, you know, it might work great once, but it might not be repeatable for 10,000 iterations every day or something. And that becomes like the kind of thing that you can only learn by building something and putting it through those paces. Uh, so that's, right. that's probably difficult to even put a, a value on. Right, exactly. I mean, I think uh, someone with a, uh, just coming out of college uh, may not be the best, um, may not be the only type of people you need on your team if you want to build uh, vehicles and build machines uh, that uh, have never been built before. It would be useful to have folks who have done this for decades um, and you know, know how to, to do this and know which suppliers to go to and have that infrastructure in place um, especially in the manufacturing world. And so that is valuable beyond uh, the individual people themselves is the accumulated years of talent uh, for a company that's been around for 50 years uh, must be quite great. Uh, and also that Tesla chose to work with them in the first place, uh, I think says something about both companies um, and their um, both willingness to work together. And what's interesting too is that this company, Groman, is... Uh, been run by its founder uh, and CEO for for the entirety of its company is and is also the namesake. Um, so uh, they they also had some kind words to say about each other, both Elon and uh, Mr. Groman, uh, sort of mutual respect for each other in uh, running their their engineering driven companies for so long. Um, clearly, Groman for longer. Fifty three years. Yeah, he must be getting close to retirement. Maybe this that informed part of this decision. Yeah, that could be. Uh, I hadn't, I hadn't uh, considered that, but that's true. Um, that would be uh, quite either a, uh, an older gentleman or um, a very old gentleman. Yeah, either I mean, way, I would guess eighties, but you know, I, that's you know totally swag right there. And um, one of the one of the other things I think was um, that Tesla and Elon have been saying that they believe that the machine that builds a machine, the factory deserves more engineering talent and effort, uh, and he's quantified it as an order of magnitude more than the engineering they invest in the actual vehicles. Um, and so the end result of that is him saying that at very high production volumes, the factory becomes more of a product than the product itself. And how much of this is spin uh, for sort of jazzing up the team and validating and sort of uh, making a case for why this acquisition makes a lot of sense. Um, but it, he's been talking about it in, in almost every one of his public interviews for, for many, many months. And, uh, and so I, I do tend to think that they must actually be investing a lot of time and energy into this. And it is something that they realize is the next critical uh, function for the company if they want to be successful is, you know, specking out what's going to be in the Model 3 is now done. And the hard work now is how do you make a lot of them cheaply at a high quality bar and do it quickly. Um, and so that is, that is a totally different skill set. And when you look at someone like an Apple in the technology space, the team it takes to design the iPhone is, is much, much smaller than the team who works on procuring all the parts of working with the factories of building machines that build iPhones, that hold iPhones, that chamfer edges on iPhones. 
And so that, that mismatch uh, is, um, is, is quite large between the team that designs versus the team that executes the designs um, and the actual team that's building those products, in Apple's case, um, many Chinese workers. Uh, and so for Tesla, they have to be investing an inordinate amount of energy and time on this second order piece where traditionally uh, they haven't spent as much time um, because they've been able to produce in smaller volumes, which affords you uh, the ability to make different sorts of decisions and invest less engineering resources and, and just sort of throw some money at the problem uh, in the case of Model S and Model X. But clearly they're realizing that is no longer a sufficient strategy to compete with uh, millions of cars a year kind of volumes. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, as they, the, with the volume ramp that they are planning, uh, I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. And the amount of automation that will be required to achieve this is, uh, I mean, it's a, it's got to be almost all automation, right? Because there's, I mean, there's no way they could hire and staff up and train enough humans to assemble all of these vehicles in, and, and get them up to that rate in such a short amount of time. This is... This is the kind of thing that can only happen with highly advanced automation uh, that's available nowadays. Yeah, and also that their cars are inherently more expensive today than their competitors' vehicles. And one of the reasons many traditional automakers don't want to make electric vehicles is the component pieces are more expensive. So when you take a more expensive component system and produce it on a traditional, very human-heavy production system, it yields a very expensive product compared to an internal combustion engine. So Tesla has to has to make a system that is more automated uh, to reduce the cost far enough that they can compete in a world where uh, subsidies are not number one in people's minds because clearly the subsidies will be going away very shortly for Tesla because of the 200,000 car limit in the U.S. and the unpredictability of other countries um, timing and willingness to subsidize electric vehicles. And so they need to produce these um, automated systems uh, to compensate for the higher costs uh, embedded in their, in their vehicles and drive those costs down because that's where the manufacturing and the costs have come down. And almost all of human products over time have, have come through manufacturing efficiencies and logistics efficiencies. Um, and very little in the actual inherent properties of the of the you know the atoms inside of the products it's almost all about introducing technology to solve these problems from digging machines that can dig a lot more to airplanes that can fly parts around the world at a much faster rate to big big ships to cargo containers to you know automated production lines all these things are technology applied to to these problems and so Tesla wants to do that to, to vehicles and to a much greater degree than they feel has been done before. And I, I think that's the thing that you and I both have, have been dubious of, how much room is there to improve? And Tesla and Elon Musk in particular have said they believe there's quite a lot, uh, that if you just look at the pace of a vehicle coming off the line on a traditional automaker, it is much slower than a normal walk. And in his mind, when you look at the semiconductor industry and some of the other high-tech products, uh, they, they are produced at you know, a much, much faster rate of speed. 
And so his question is, why can't cars be produced at that same speed? And that's what they're going to try and do. And that's what Groman uh, theoretically should be able to help them with. So it, of the cars they're manufacturing now, the, the S and the X, uh, is there any sort of industry-wide uh, like automation metric that they can be? I mean, I guess you could imagine something where you say the number of vehicles coming out of a plant over a certain amount of time uh, divided by the number of workers that are in the humans that are in the plant and, and create some sort of like automation score as to like which vehicles are the most like like on one end you might have a Bentley where it's all assembled by hand and then on the other end you would have like maybe a Tesla um, that's where it's almost you know, very few humans are involved or the least number of humans are involved. Do we know like where they are on that sort of, is there a continuum and do, do we know where Tesla is on that continuum? So I don't know of a particular score like that. I think that's a good set of um, metrics to try and go net out. Um, I'll do some some homework and next time we talk about manufacturing, I'll have some, some numbers on that. Because I, I do think that the output rate, so I think like output rate per square foot per employee is probably the, the three that you want to look at. Um, and try and normalize for, uh, and then perhaps also like dollar value of vehicle uh, to try and compensate for the likely inherent um, uh, need for more expensive vehicles to be more customized, uh, or maybe the converse that lower priced vehicles clearly have less margin and therefore require more automation to still be a viable product. And I think that's the, the reason that Tesla um, and the stated goal in one of the very first blog posts was to focus on high price, low volume vehicles was that in their view, almost all new technologies start with high volume, or sorry, high price, low volume, right. and then over time can, can move up those curves. Uh, and so, you know, clearly someone like a GM, uh, I was looking at their earnings uh, a few days ago and I posted to you as well. I mean, I think they were, they were like many, many, many millions of cars. I think it was 10x the number of cars Tesla had done. So I think it was like 2.5 million in the quarter, uh, something like that. I might be off by a bit, but it, it was just immense how many more vehicles they make in, in a quarter um, than Tesla does. And they're in factories that are from the 80s. So <laughs> yeah, and as, as I'm thinking about it, it would be a little bit, it's tough with uh, complex uh, uh, chains, uh, complex uh supply chains uh because you, you know you might have so many people assembling an engine somewhere else and then that gets shipped over and put into the vehicle and yeah i'm sorry i'm still i'm still thinking about the uh coming yeah, up with no, this metric i think the the other thing i was thinking about is when you when you want to produce this many uh at, at a certain rate that also means that all of the pieces and the parts have to be there at that rate as well right. and coming into the factory at that rate or faster and so that means you either need to be producing them or having a large backlog to produce so many per day. Like it, or it having does, a, it, a inherently simpler vehicle design too. Like part of like at least the drivetrain of the Tesla will be simpler. Yes, for sure, absolutely. And also that um, one of the things that uh, came out of this as well, one of the huge subsystems obviously for Tesla is the drivetrain. So the uh, electric motors and then the battery packs. And we've now known that the Gigafactory is also going to be producing the Model 3 drivetrain. And so it sounds likely that the battery packs and drivetrains may come over together. 
from the Gigafactory to aid in the uh, and reduce the amount of uh, assembly that has to happen at the factory. But also on the call, we heard that Tesla is both going to choose a new site for Gigafactory 2 in Europe in 2017. So there'll be a new factory in next year, or, or at least will be chosen next year for their European production to continue to grow from the half a million vehicles to the million vehicles two years later. And also that the Gigafactory, which we had talked about, is also going to produce the cars. So they're going to create an even bigger factory next <laughs> that produces both the cells, the packs, the drivetrain, and the final assembled cars. So one end will come in the raw lithium, cobalt, uh, aluminum, and steel on one end, and out the other end will come the cars. And so they that's their plan for how they're going to continue to up the automation is one gigantic factory that produces everything wow. that goes into a Tesla. I hope that they're not going to be like marching cows into one side too for the leather interior. Well, they've got the uh, the synthetic leathers that are becoming more and more popular. So I think they'll they'll keep pushing those hopefully. So more, <laughs> more petrochemicals probably. That's true. Better for the environment too. Yes, they're vegan, but they use oil, so it's a it's a contradiction in terms. That's true, but they don't they don't burp methane, so who knows? All right. Um, well, we've gone a little far afield here. Um, that's all right. Okay, so uh, I think we've pretty much. Is there was there anything else that you uh, wanted to touch on here, or do you want to wrap this up? Oh, just lastly, that um, this deal, unlike the Solar City deal, did not need uh, uh, um, shareholder approval. Uh, they just did it. So the only thing they're waiting on is German the German officials approval and they expect that will happen uh, before the end of the year or early 2017. And, you know, if it was $130 million a year business, maybe they got a two or three X multiple on revenue. Uh, and so it was, I would, they didn't reveal the details, but my bet is it's somewhere between 300 in the $300 million range probably. And because Tesla only has three billion in cash, I doubt it was mostly cash. I doubt. I, I bet it's mostly stock. Wait, you think uh, it's and, only three x multiple on on revenue? Isn't yeah? Rev is, oh, oh, okay, not on profit. All right, all right. not on gotcha. profit. Yeah. Okay. So that would put it at three hundred million. So I think what we'll see here is in the next quarterly earnings, which ding, we love we love doing. Um, <laughs> we would see uh, disclosure about this in terms of the uh, stock uh, that they had to issue to. Uh -huh. To compensate all these people so we'll wait so that, and see we will wait and see but um i'm going to say it here i think the deal value will come in around 300 million so we'll we'll find out and and uh, the next episode most likely will be covering solar city which uh, may be approved by the time the next episode comes out and so we will uh be able to cover whether or not it actually happened or not so True. if it doesn't happen we probably won't talk about solar city <laughs> if it does happen we will most likely cover more details of solar city since it's a pretty complex uh business that many people do not understand how it works because they don't sell a product directly to customers in many cases they sell a loan and an asset-backed loan on the solar panels which then they lease to the customer so it's a it's a very convoluted financial system um so well there's some complexity in in the uh german purchase though too because the uh the value of the dollar to the deutschmark might uh might not be as favorable in in uh, six months. Who knows? That's true. It. Uh, the, I wonder. I wonder if they're going to peg it to a a conversion price uh, at a certain set date, and then the Tesla shares will float the difference in the value. So they'll have to just fingers crossed that the uh, 
the the, uh, the toys got stronger. Yeah. Unless it's Euros. Anyways, uh, that was that was it. So hopefully people have a little bit more understanding on the Groman deal, and um, we will most likely hear about them as well on the next earnings call because I'm sure uh, one analyst will ask them about how it's going and if it's bearing any fruit. So I bet we'll hear we'll hear about them quite a bit going forward, even though. It will not be called Groman. It will be called the Tesla Advanced Automation Group. <laughs> Excellent. Wait, TAG. There you go. That's TAG. tag. They've got yes. an acronym. Wow. T-A-A-G. All right. Where can people uh, share their thoughts about today's episode or any of our previous episodes? Yeah, if you have thoughts on any of that, you can tweet at us at The Tesla Show. You can reach us on our website at theteslashow.com or you can comment on our subreddit at r slash the tesla show and uh we look forward to hearing from you all right have a good night talk to you later mike all feeders in <laughs>